you just heard my name is Ben, and uh, I attend Grace City, have done for a while. Um, I'm one of the leaders in one of our 423 groups, and um, involved in other, I, I do music sometimes, involved in other things at the church. Um, and Simon asked me if I would uh, preach this morning, and he kind of explained it this way. He said, you know, we're not in the middle of a series, um, so there's no, like, prescribed text. And he said, why, why don't you just preach about whatever Jesus is bringing up in your heart these days? And I thought, okay, perfect. This is a great opportunity to pull out a sermon from my back pocket that I've preached years ago and make it relevant for today. And I felt the Holy Spirit stop me and be like, no, no, Ben, um, you're actually learning some things right now. Why don't you share about that? So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at a few different passages of scripture. If you don't uh, have a Bible, you might want to grab one. There are some in these little boxes at the middle aisle. Um, and we're just going to take some time. I'm going to share with you guys some things I've been learning, and we're just going to reflect on a few passages that have been uh, kind of guiding for me lately. Um, I know we've prayed a lot this morning. Would you mind if I pray one more time? Please. Father, thank you. Thank you for this place. Thank you for the blessing that it is. Thank you for the blessing that it is to all of us, Lord. Thank you for the, the blessing that it is even to those uh, who, who break windows and illegally spend the night in our church. Thank you for the blessing that it is for those of us who gather this morning for space just to gather uh, around your word. Jesus, would you send your spirit this morning? Would you help us listen this morning? Jesus, would you help your word become living and active for us this morning? We love you, Jesus. We listen to you this morning in your name. Amen. Um, so last time, last time I got to uh, share with you guys on a Sunday morning, I shared a little bit about um, what I do for a living. And at that time, I was in the middle of a really intense summer season at my work. I ran a summer camp. And... Um, so, so that, that's, that was like sort of the last three months of my life, I feel like, was just all consumed, you know, 24-7, I'm just doing this thing. And, um, and it, it was a pretty intense three months, uh, not only in my work life, but also just personal life, pretty intense. And a lot of what I, what I do in my ministry work is, uh, is, can be fairly, um, I guess, Intense is the word. Uh, can be fairly intense. Uh, and uh, I, I remember during the midway through the summer, summer, I was on the phone with a mentor of mine, and I was like, man, this is just really hard. And I don't how it's hard for me to admit how hard this job is and how hard this work is and all these people I'm responsible for. And he compared um, the, the work I was doing to being um, like, a, like a surgeon in a field hospital. And I was like, whoa, that's kind of true. You know, all this dealing with issues of abuse and suicide and, and all kinds of, you know, dealing with legal authorities and all kinds of things. Um, and so I, I just started to notice that was wearing on me. And then, and then I kind of looked around and I was like, you know, I, but I'm not the only one. I'm not, I'm not special in that. Uh, we all have fairly intense lives at the moment. And I think a lot of us could say the last year or more of our lives uh, as, a, as, a, as a society, as a culture, as a people could be described as intense. And I've noticed um, that I, I'm feeling the, the strain of that. I'm a pretty resilient person. Um, but I noticed I was beginning to feel a bit worn. 
And I was looking around me and going, I think, I think most people I know are feeling that sense of wear and tear and the, the burden of life in our moment. It is a crazy time to be a human being. It's also a crazy time to be a Jesus follower. It's a crazy time. And it wears on us, it wears on me. And so after the summer was over, you know, we finished our intense season of work and I intentionally took some time off uh, just to rest and recuperate and be with the Lord and get restored, um, which, is, which is great. And this, this, this sermon is actually going to sort of be about rest, but it's not going to be about um, how we all need to take things out of our schedules and turn off our smartphones every once in a while and yada, yada, because everyone's talking about that inside the church, outside the church, everyone's talking about that right now. We're going to talk about something a little different um, because what happened for me is I got to a season of rest after my super intense summer and the super intense year that we've all been li- living, and um, I realized that something was happening to me as I came to these moments, these days of quiet, of stillness, of rest. I, I noticed that um, I still wasn't sleeping great. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe it just takes a while for my body to slow down. And then I would sit down with the scriptures and, uh, and, and I would realize that I, I just couldn't focus. I would get the scripture reading done, but I just couldn't really like focus on it. And I started noticing like I, I wanted to spend time, I wanted to spend time with the Lord so desperately and let him restore me, but I couldn't seem to hit the pause button in my soul. I couldn't find the break, I couldn't find the gear shift, I couldn't find the off switch. And I noticed that the anxiety of life in this moment that we're all living had actually um, started to seep over into my life with God. And I started to realize, and this is very recent for me, this is like the last couple of weeks, I started to recognize that even though I desperately wanted to meet with God and drink from the fountain of life, there was still so much doing, striving, working, and anxiety-driven doing that was happening in my soul, even while my schedule was cleared. So I realized that my lack of rest may not have been so much a schedule problem or a smartphone problem or a media problem or a societal problem. It might be a heart problem. And a few scriptures came to mind that I started meditating on. I'd like to start in Isaiah 30. Isaiah 30. There's a great, a great scripture in Isaiah 30 that I love to lift out of context every once in a while. We're going to try to put it into context today. But in Isaiah 30, chapter, verse 15, there's this great scripture. Listen to this. It says, uh, let's find it. It says, thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. In returning and rest is your salvation, and quietness and trust is your strength. It's describing a heart posture that, uh, that we're invited into as people of God, and that uh, I find often very, very elusive. And I began to meditate on this over the last couple of weeks and think, okay, in repentance and, or returning, that word re- uh, returning there is sometimes translated repentance, uh, is my salvation and quietness and trust is my strength. That's the heart posture I want, but I'm just having so much trouble actually sensing that, that gut level peace of God. 
that gut level rest where I can truly enter into his restful presence and be still and be restored and be refilled. And so I started to think about this, uh, what, what this means, and I pulled out, you know, the Bible, always a good idea, just deciding to read the whole chapter and see what's really going on in context here. And I noticed this word returning or repentance, and returning or repentance and rest is your salvation. Okay, what, what does this word mean, returning or repentance? Well, returning is actually a really good translation of the word repentance. It just basically means to turn from whatever we're doing and turn towards God. It basically just means to return from wherever we've put our effort and energy and come back to God. And so I started to think, well, what, what, where, what do I need to repent of then? And, and just a quick word about repentance. Uh, I think repentance gets a bad rap sometimes in our churches. Repentance um, is not about feeling shame. It's not even about feeling overwhelmed with guilt. Repentance is an act of the will where we say, I am looking at, trusting, serving, doing this one thing, and now I'm turning to God. I'm letting God be my answer. I'm letting God be my king. I'm letting God be my father. I'm just returning. I'm turning back. And I looked at the rest of this chapter, and it's so interesting, because in the beginning of Isaiah 30, Isaiah is just lambasting the people of God for what? For trusting the nation of Egypt. Listen to this, verse 1. Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan but not mine, who make an alliance but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. What are the people doing? They're carrying out a plan that is not God's plan. They're making an alliance, but not by God's spirit. They set out to go down to Egypt without asking for direction. They take refuge and protection from Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. So they're trusting in, they're hiding in, they're taking refuge in other powers besides God. Skip down to verse seven. Why is this a problem? Verse seven tells us, because Egypt's help is worthless and empty. And I started thinking, um, I wonder if, just maybe, I know this sounds like a crazy idea, but I wonder if part of the reason I'm so strung out and so many people I know are so strung out is because we're making alliances and looking for protection and looking for comfort and looking for, for fulfillment and restoration in things that are worthless and empty. And I had to start asking, God, am I carrying out plans that are not yours? I, I, I'm a pretty hard-working person, right? I'm a pretty goal-driven person. I love to find a goal, figure out what it is, and find a way to get there. I love to like have my schedule organized and fit as many things in there as I can and juggle all these balls in there. I love, I actually just like love doing that. Isn't that weird? I love doing that. I love like having, having some big project that feels unattainable and being like, okay, how do we all make this happen together? Let's do this. Let's make it happen. We're going to get it done. It feels like we're pulling off the heist of the century. I love it. But I have to stop every once in a while and ask myself, are these plans God's plans? Are these alliances God's alliances? So the people of God are first called 
to forsake their trust in other things and just return. Just return. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. The scary thing is, this isn't the end of the passage. In quietness and trust is your strength, verse 15. But you were unwilling. You said, no, we will flee upon horses. Therefore, you shall flee away. We will ride upon swift steeds. Therefore, your pursuers shall be swift. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you shall flee till you are left like a flagstaff on the top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill. In repentance and rest is your salvation, and quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. The picture here is of God saying, just turn back and breathe a sigh and rest and be quiet and trust. Let me just take care of you, my people. And I felt the Spirit of God saying this to me. Let me just take care of you. Come back. Forsake your plans for a moment. Forsake your ideas for a moment and just return and let me care for you. The invitation is there, but the picture we get is of the people of God saying, no, 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 thank you. What will we do instead? We will flee away on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers shall be swift. And you get this sense of the people of God just churning and running and striving and trying to make plans and trying to get their own life sorted out and all their ducks in a row. And there's always this sense that disaster is stalking them and it's a swift horse behind them. And I think if we look at the anxiety of our moment, many of us, inside and outside the church feel this. The sense that I have to keep going. I cannot stop what I'm doing. I cannot press pause. I can't hit the brake pedal because if I do, disaster is just a couple inches behind me just nipping at my heels. And so we find ourselves fleeing on swift horses. And I love this, a thousand shall flee at the threat of one. Talking about the paranoid, skittish, anxiety-driven mentality that many of us can have where one little thing goes wrong and it feels like the whole house of cards is crumbling. And in many ways, this is the anxiety of the moment that we live in and it's the anxiety that for me can so often invade my own heart. And here's the really insidious thing. It can even start to invade my relationship to my father where I think if I don't do enough spiritual stuff, it's over, game over. If I don't make him happy with my behavior enough, game over, it's game over for me. Or if I, if I, if I don't uh, achieve this spiritual attainment, if I don't have this spiritual experience, then some, some disaster, is he, he's just ready to crush me. And I can begin to let that invade my walk even with God so that before God, instead of quietly trusting and repenting and resting, I'm actually striving. And it becomes a very unhelpful posture. And I started to recognize in myself that this is the reason I can't really rest with God. Because I'm fleeing on swift horses. 
The image I got when I was looking at that, uh, reading that passage was, um, you know, in the, in the Wild West days, this, this, is, this happened in uh, all, all kinds of different cultures, but in the Wild West days, the outlaws and rough riders, the baddies, would do this really super cruel thing to horses, where they would tie uh, like cans or metal or something to, to the back of the horse that would make a lot of sound. And as the horses would run, the sound that, of whatever was dragging behind them would scare them so they'd keep running, and they would watch and laugh and drink while this horse killed itself from exhaustion. And I thought, isn't that a good picture of, of the anxiety of our moment? This feeling of something is right behind me and I can't slow down and so many times we run and we work and we strive ourselves into exhaustion even sometimes before God. How many people do you know, I know several, who have worked and tried and prayed and asked God for this or for that and tried to be a good Christian since they were little, years and years all the way through college and then somewhere in their mid-20s or 30s, they realize that they just can't anymore. And unfortunately, they begin to abandon God. Their exhaustion turns into disillusionment, turns into abandoning the faith. This isn't just comfort theology. This isn't just so we can all feel more rested. This is life or death for our faith. If we don't know how to rest in God, then sooner or later we will get burnt out with God. So we get this image of the people of God unable to return, trusting in other things, not able to uh, receive their calling to repent and rest and have quietness and trust before God instead fleeing away, being skittish and anxious, and yet the Lord responds this way in verse 18. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. He himself, he, uh, therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. His glory is revealed in his mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice, and blessed are all. That word blessed could mean happy. Blessed are all who wait for him. If anything I've said this morning resonates with you, maybe it's just me, maybe this is just me working out my stuff, but if anything I've said this morning resonates with you, hear that God waits to be gracious to you. He wants to exalt himself in your life by showing you mercy. Could anyone else use mercy in their life right now? I could use some mercy. Some mercy from God. He wants to show mercy to you He wants to make you blessed as you wait in that quietness and trust before him. That's the invitation. And that invitation, uh, as I was meditating on that just in my own life, brought me to a passage that's very famous, an invitation that Jesus has for us in Matthew chapter 11. Let's turn there, Matthew chapter 11. Famous passage, one of the most famous invitations of Jesus, and I think really one for our moment as well, the moment we live in. Matthew chapter 11, um, Jesus is lamenting about unrepentant cities, cities who won't turn and believe. And remember, we just talked about repentance. Repentance isn't necessarily being uh, totally lost in guilt and shame. It's not necessarily, you know, feeling like garbage. Repentance is is a choice, an act of will to turn from whatever we're trusting and turn to God. That that's repentance, right? And 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 to 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 turn return to that place of rest 
Repentance, rest, quietness, and trust. Trusting God. That, that's what repentance looks like. And Jesus is, 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 is lamenting that so many of the cities he's visited will not turn to him. Will not return to him to receive the life that he's offering. And he says this after his lament is over. Chapter 11, I'm going to start in verse 25. And at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he says these very famous words, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So he gives us this image of little children. Father, you have hidden these things from the wise, from those who have it all figured out. You've hidden these things from the wise. You've revealed them to little kids. Just little, little children with their father. And Jesus even says, if you want to know the father, I can reveal him to you. I can show you how to be a child of a good father. How to have that place of quietness and trust before God. Anyone here uh, either have like uh, maybe their own children or nephews and nieces or kids that they're around regularly? I, I, I have uh, a number of nephews and nieces whom I love. And watching, if you just watch kids, if you just watch kids for a bit, uh, you'll see such a picture of the father heart of God. And there's something so, so special about watching a kid who's, who's in distress, who's, who's crying. Like I'll, I'll watch one of my nephews just get embarrassed about something or get hurt in some way and run to their parents and to watch that calming effect. And, and what happens after they get calmed down? Well, sometimes they just jump right back up and run off and play. But oftentimes they'll sit there for a bit. They're not crying anymore. They're breathing normally. And they'll just sit there quietness and trust. Jesus is saying, my father wants to reveal himself to little children, people who come to him with that kind of a posture and attitude. And he says, come to me. He's just lamented the people who won't come. And he says, but if you do come, what will I give you? I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. If you're, la if you're laden if you labor, if you're striving, if the burdens are too much to bear, if every time you turn on your phone it's just another gut punch because of this thing or that thing happening around you, happening in your life, happening in the world, if you're burdened, come, I will give you rest, he says. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's what we're after, right? Rest for our bodies, really good thing. 
taking things out of our schedules so we have a little bit more margin in our, in our lives, I think we all know we need to do that, right? Turning off our smartphones every once in a while, I think, again, everyone's talking about it inside the church, outside the church. We all know that that's a good idea. But what about rest for the soul? What about when you come to that margin in your schedule and you just can't seem to be still with God? Come to Jesus. What does he say to do if you want the rest for your soul? Take his yoke. Learn from him. We all know what a yoke is. A yoke is something, right, they would put on a pair of oxen or in some cases cows or horses or whatever. Uh, They would put this this yoke on a a pair of these animals and use it to pull something, oftentimes like a plow through a field, right? So these two were working together with their head, their necks and two sides of this yoke, right? And Jesus is saying, I I have a yoke too. I have a yoke too. I have have a, a, a place for you to be and to come walk side by side, step by step with me and learn a new way to be. It's not that Jesus is saying, put down your burdens and then just go do whatever you want. He's saying, do do you want rest? Do you actually want deep soul restoration? Okay, come start learning from me. Come, Come put your head in the yoke next to me. Shoulder this light and easy burden. But by the way, why is the, why is the burden so light and easy? Has anyone, here, has anyone here ever gotten to a place where they're like, man, being a Christian is hard. I'm supposed to do all these different things all the time. And I keep messing up and then I have to figure out how to get back to on the right track. And this is hard. And the pressures from around me, it's just like, oh my gosh, it's so hard. This is hard stuff being a Christian. And I, I have, has anyone ever read the words of Jesus where he says, You've, you know, I, I, need, I need your righteousness to surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. In fact, I need you to be perfect like my Father in heaven is perfect. Has anyone ever heard those words and just been like, oh, I can't. It's too heavy. The thing that makes the burden light is not that we're not pulling anything. It's not that we're not asked to do something difficult. It's that Jesus is in the yoke with us, bearing the weight, bearing the weight. You know, when training a pair of oxen back in this day, they would uh, never just, two oxen who had never done this before, they would never just be like, okay, uh, these two oxen never pulled a plow before, but let's put them in the yoke and just see what happens. Because would, it would be crazy. They'd like go all over the field and then they'd probably pull, like go, try to go different ways and someone would get hurt and it wouldn't be a good idea. They would take one of the older, more experienced animals, bring one who had never done this before and put them in the yoke with that experienced animal. So as this experienced older animal would pull forward, would carry the weight of the plow, this other animal would go, oh, this, oh, this is what we're doing. Oh, I, oh, sure, okay. What about, oh, no, okay. No, I'm back, I'm back, I'm back. Right? And so, so often, um, the, the, the life of God, life with Jesus, can feel burdensome. It can feel burdensome because we think we're in it alone and we're not sharing the yoke with Jesus. The invitation is to let him pull. Let him show us. He, it's okay. He's gentle and humble in heart. He's not going to be harsh. He's not going to yank you around. He's going to show you one step at a time how this thing goes.
if we'll just repent, turn to him, rest, and trust him quietly, put our head in that yoke with him, we'll find what? Rest for your souls. Rest for your souls. The the thing we're talking about here is is not a, a practical life hack. The thing we're talking about here is not another spiritual discipline. Life hacks and spiritual disciplines, really helpful, really good. We're talking about a posture of living, of living before God as that child, of living with Jesus as his humble student, of trusting that he's taking care of the big stuff. Can I look at one more passage? Psalm 131, it's really short. It's like the shortest Psalm. This image of a child, actually, as I was meditating on this, this is the, the, the psalm that came up for me uh, as I was meditating on the image of a child. What's a child before the father like? That quiet trust, what's that like? And just listen to this. These are the words of David. O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Uh, Eugene Peterson in his message paraphrase says, I'm not trying to rule the roost. I'm not trying to be in charge. This, this sentiment that David is describing here as he writes this psalm is the opposite of what was going on with the Israelites in Isaiah 30, right? Where they were trying to make plans that weren't God's plans. They were trying to get their life to work trying to just crowbar their life into smoothness somehow. They had all these ideas and visions and dreams, and if I can just get that one more thing, if I can just get my future figured out a little bit more, if I can just get my finances settled, if I can just get in that relationship and get married, I'll be good. If I can just get that degree or that job, or maybe if I just get my house cleaned for once. I'm going to be honest, that's a big one for me. Uh, I won't go there. Um, We have all these ideas of what we need, of what we're working on, of what it will take before we can finally, ah, now we're good. Now we're good. Now I can just coast for a while. But David gives us an alternative. He says, instead, what if we just don't occupy ourselves with things too great and too wonderful for me? Well, what do you mean, Ben? What do you mean too great and too wonderful for me? Are we not supposed to think about big things and have plans for our futures? That's not it at all. What it is is letting God be God. And if you don't think that you struggle with letting God be God, letting God be in charge, um, let me ask you a few simple questions. What do you do, how do you respond or react when somebody disagrees with you about politics or even theology? Does the anger and anxiety rise in you? Uh, What happens when you don't get your way? What do you experience when you have a plan for how your day's gonna go and something derails it? 
And that's not shame on you, that's not shame on me. It's just a humble recognition that as a human being, as a fallen human being in a fallen world that says I can do everything and I can have what I want, I'm tempted just like everyone else to try to play God, to occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. So what's the alternative? Well, verse two says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. How would you describe your soul right now? Think about some of those images that we've heard this morning, the the horse that can't stop running. Does that describe your soul? Think about the burdened and heavy laden. Does that describe your soul? Think about the weaned child with its mother, content. Does that describe your soul? I had to ask myself um, in the last two weeks, when I got to my scheduled time off and I couldn't stop doing, I couldn't stop doing little things around my house, but also couldn't stop the internal striving and doing and anxiousness and like, I have to get something out of this and I have to make this work and if anything good is going to come in my life, it's gonna be because I arranged for it. I couldn't stop the doing and I had to honestly stop and ask myself why can't I stop? Why can't I turn off the ignition? Why can't I press pause? Why can't I seem to slow down? And as I meditated on these passages, the answer became very clear that I was occupying myself with things too great, too marvelous. They're not mine to hold. That burden is not mine to carry. What's my burden to carry? It's the other side of the yoke with Jesus. That's my burden to carry. And it is light. And it is easy because he's infinitely stronger. He knows what he's doing. And so I've begun to pray, actually, uh, in the last few days. I've begun to pray, God, would you make me like a weaned child with its mother? Would you just make me like, like my nephews with their mom? just with, before you, just content, just still, just returning and rest, quietness and trust. Would you make that my daily experience? And then David just ends with this like call to the people. This is a good thing to like write on a mirror somewhere or I don't know, get tattooed if you're into that. Oh Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Hope in the Lord, this time forth and forever. Where's your hope? Where's your hope? Is it in getting one more thing accomplished? Getting one more career goal met? Getting one more life circumstance situated? Or is it in the Lord? And when we hope in the Lord, we have sure expectation that he will deliver on his promises. We will find rest for our souls. We will begin to experience the easy burden and the light yoke that is walking with Jesus. The promises will come to pass as we hope in the Lord. 
So uh, I'll invite the uh, worship team up now. Um, and I would just encourage all of us to think through what's, what's the image that describes your soul best right now? Is it the running horses? Is it the, the paranoia, the fleeing at the threat of one? Is it the burdened and heavy laden? Is it the, the quiet, content child with its mother? And just to begin to reflect on the invitation where Jesus says, I, I love this. I love that Jesus doesn't say, figure out your theology and I will give you rest. He doesn't say, come to church for once and I will give you rest. He doesn't say, if you would read your Bible five days this week, I will give you rest. He says, come to me. And just begin to put your hope, your expectation in that invitation from Jesus. Let me pray. Jesus, I, I repent. I repent. I thought I could manage my own life. I even thought I could manage my own um, journey with you. And uh, I'll probably keep trying to do that, Jesus. But right now, I repent, and I, I just turn. I just return to you. I return to you in quietness and trust, knowing that you're doing what you need to do to take care of me and to take care of all the things that I just can't handle. All the, the news headlines I can't handle, all the family circumstances, all the disappointments and struggles of life, even, even Lord, all the sin problems that I can't handle, you're working to take care of those. So Jesus, I come to you now. We come to you now, and we just, we put ourselves in the yoke with you. Would you teach us how to walk freely and lightly, letting you shoulder the burden as we learn from you how to live? And over time, as we pursue you, Jesus, would you make us like little children with their mother, just quiet and content. We choose now to put our hope in you. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for your gracious invitation this morning. In your name, amen.